Gospel of John is where we will be uh, again today, John chapter 10. And I will, by way of reminder, last week we saw the story of a, of a blind man being healed. John chapter 9, uh, he was given sight by Christ. Jesus performed this, uh, this sign and there was some kind of uh, confusion, some questioning, some, some disagreements as to what was taking place. The Pharisees were kind of questioning, was this man actually blind? You know, Jesus has got to be a sinner because he did it on the Sabbath. Uh, there was this back and forth kind of investigation that took place. They, they told the man, just call him a sinner. Tell us the truth. Uh, so Because we know that he already is. But we saw at the end something glorious happened as the man not only was given his physical sight, but at the end of the text he believed, trusted in Jesus, and he worshipped him there on the spot. But that text ended with a bit of a, a paradox Jesus presented. I want to read that briefly to you. It's John chapter 9, uh, verse 39. John nine thirty nine. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Now the Pharisees were there, they heard him, uh, and, they, and he said the, they said to him, Are we also blind? And I think there's a bit of, of snark, if I can use that word. Maybe, maybe I'm reading tone into it, but you know, are we blind too? Uh, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So he calls them out and he says, Actually, because you think you see everything and you have sight and you understand the truth, you're actually guilty because you don't, you've rejected me. So that's the backdrop. That's what just happened. And this text is in the same context. Is it the same day or not? Can't be certain, but we do know from the end of what I'm about to read that it's the same group, there's the same audience, at least some. They just witnessed him perform this miracle. And he's still speaking in the context of those that do not believe, those that have rejected him, or those that are not caring for the flock. So our text today we're going to look at is John 10, uh, 1 through 21. So why don't we read that together? Verse 1 Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not 
when the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a man, or excuse me, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, uh, we open up your word, and we ask and we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to behold wonderful things from your word. I pray as we consider today our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you even now, Lord, would be feeding our souls, nourishing us, strengthening us, growing faith, Lord, correcting where we need to be corrected, challenged where we need to be challenged. Uh, we, I pray that we might leave here with a greater hope of the gospel and of the shepherding work of Jesus in our lives. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, this idea of, of God as a shepherd and his leaders, his spiritual leaders as his under shepherds is not new to John chapter 10. And, and it's not new to the New Testament or to the Bible. But this idea of God as a shepherd is a, is a theme, a motif that is seen all throughout the scripture. The one that probably comes to mind that we all know and, and love is this 23rd Psalm. Right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's a vivid picture there. And if you think about who's writing that psalm, that it's David who lived much of his life as a shepherd. He knows intimately the details of what it means for a shepherd to care for his flock. Uh, I think that that 23rd Psalm has even more of a, of a sweetness to it as David lived his life as a shepherd. Jesus often, when he tells a story or uses a metaphor, He's, he's hearkening back to the Old Testament, to something that the Jewish mind would pick up on that would be uh, relevant, that they would get and understand. It's like if I came up here and started talking about liberty and freedom and the pursuit of happiness. Right? Those are themes that are ingrained in American culture and in American mind. You would get what I'm talking about. You would, they would resonate with you. And Jesus often uses biblical languages, biblical imagery that the that his audience would understand and would, 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 would get. So I want to turn to the Old Testament before we get into this sermon or this text and go to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. As Jesus in our, in our passage in John 10 is contrasting himself with bad shepherds, I want to uh, go to a text that I think would have been in the mind of a Jewish person where they would see in the Scripture this this teaching on the bad shepherds or the unfaithful shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34. This is a prophecy given by God's prophet to these unfaithful shepherds in Ezekiel 34.1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Let's be clear, he's not talking about animals. He's talking about his people, right? And those under shepherds that are called to lead his people. And we see God's heart here for his sheep, his love for the people and his burden when they are not treated properly. Look at his judgment against these shepherds in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they that they may not be food for them. You see that whole picture there that God is going to be the rescuer, that God is going to be the one that brings salvation Himself, deliverance. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit trail, but you see that foreshadowing or that picture of, the, of Jesus ultimately. But listen, we can see in the negatives what a shepherd should be as he brings this charge against these people. Uh, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. A, fe- a shepherd is one who, who feeds the flock. You, you have not strengthened the weak. A shepherd strengthens the weak. You have not healed the sick. A shepherd looks after the sick. Uh, the injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. You see their, their lack of concern for the sheep. Their lack of care for those that were put under them. When Jesus calls Himself the Good Shepherd, in contrast to bad or unfaithful shepherds, this is what he has in mind. And this is what would have been in the minds of his hearers. Uh, so now he tells them, or he, he, he contrasts that with himself, as he is the good shepherd. And he tells us here some characteristics of what it means for him to be the good shepherd. So let's turn back to John 10 and see these characteristics of Jesus as the ultimate, perfect, good shepherd. Uh, my outline is threefold. First, we see the relationship the shepherd has with the sheep. Uh, we then see the care of the shepherd for the sheep. And then lastly, the sacrifice of the shepherd for his sheep. But number one is the relationship the shepherd has with his sheep. The relationship the shepherd has with his sheep. Look again in verse 1 of John 10. Truly, truly. Uh, that's a double amen. He says, listen up. Verily, verily. Listen to what I have to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I want to explain this, this idea of a sheepfold. It's basically a pen that was constructed for sheep. It was usually made out of rock or block, uh, wall, and it had multiple purposes. Number one was to keep the sheep in, right? to contain the sheep, that they not stray, that they not wander off, that they not go a place they shouldn't go. So the first purpose of the sheepfold is to contain the sheep within the walls, boundaries. The other purpose of the sheepfold was to protect them from what is outside, right? to keep out uh, predators, those that would come in and seek to eat and kill and destroy the sheep, and also from thieves, those that might come in and try to snatch away sheep that were not their own. Also, he talked about the watchmen at the door. Jesus speaks here of a sheepfold that is communal, meaning it is, it is, it is given as a service, or say that the, uh, the shepherd needs to go into town or handle some business, and he can put his flock in this sheepfold, and there would be other flocks that would also be in the same pen together, and there would be a watchman at the door. And his job was to not allow anyone to go into that sheepfold other than the true shepherds that were the shepherds for those flocks. And Jesus says he is that trusted shepherd, the one that is allowed to have access to the sheep, but it is the thief that sneaks in another way, avoiding the gatekeeper coming in to steal and to kill. I want to point out in this relationship that the shepherd has with his sheep, and that is, number one, that he calls his own by name. This good shepherd, Jesus, calls his sheep by name. Again, verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Remember the background. Jesus is being contrasted to these unfaithful shepherds, these unfaithful leaders of Israel. And when Jesus comes and begins to call His flock, He calls them by name. There's a relational aspect. There's an individual aspect here, an intimacy. He knows each and every one of them. It's not just the multitude, but He knows them personally. Contrast that with the Pharisees that He's speaking against. They don't care about the individual. They don't care about the little guy. They don't care about the common person, but they were concerned about their platform, their prestige, their power, their position. Christ calls His sheep by name. The picture here is a multitude of people, and He comes and He begins to call His sheep to Himself, His people to Himself. Notice that what He says here. That it seems that they are His sheep before He actually... He identifies His own. He calls them, and then they come to himself. Again in verse 3, uh, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name. Uh, and then he leads them out. I want to bring this back to us, that he called you individually as well. He knows your name personally and intimately. There's a, there's a relationship that takes place there between us and Jesus. He's not this just aloof kind distant shepherd that cares for the masses but doesn't care for the individual. He's concerned with your life right now, what's taking place. He's concerned with your heart, the things that are burdening you, that are, that are hurting you. He's concerned with the, with the brokenness of your past, the things that need healing and restoration. He restores and lifts up the broken and the downtrodden. He's a good shepherd who is concerned, again, not just with the flock at large, but with each and every individual. 
Because each person has value and worth and dignity in the shepherd's eyes. Remember, he's the one that leaves the 99 to go after that one stray sheep that has wandered out of the flock. And he calls his own by name. It's a personal calling. But also, number two, we see that they follow him by his voice. As the shepherd calls his own, they follow him by his voice. Again, in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I want to paint this picture here because there's a difference between shepherding sheep in the West, how we do it here, and shepherding sheep in the Near East, in the Middle East, we're speaking of here. So in the West, uh, you might picture a shepherd has sheep dogs, and it's kind of like cattle driving, where he's behind the flock and he's driving the sheep where he wants them to go. So the sheep, dog, the sheep dogs run around, and they're nipping at the heels of the back of the flock, and they're trying to drive that flock. Same way a, a cattle driver would drive cattle forward, and he'd be at the back kind of pushing the, the herd. But with a, with a shepherd in the east, it's actually the exact opposite. The shepherd is the one that goes before the flock, and they follow him by his voice. They know his call. They know his voice. There's, it's, there's a relationship there. And as we read in the 23rd Psalm, it is he that leads me beside still waters. It is he that leads us into paths of righteousness. The shepherd is the one that goes before his sheep. He leads and guides at his direction. And as they follow him, uh, they follow him by his voice. They hear him and they know where to go. Uh, I told a story a while back of a, of a, of a video that was made to, to illustrate this in a modern context. And there was a pen of sheep and there was two flocks in this pen and they were marked off somehow. I think there was a dye job, something on their wool, kind of like a branding, but they had wool, so a, a dye spot. So there's two different colored sheep. One has a red mark and one has a blue. And the shepherd comes and he has his distinct call. And they're all in the same pen. And he hollers out his call with his voice. And all of his sheep come to attention. And they all begin to, fr- to come out of the, the pen and follow the shepherd. Uh, and they all know his voice. They all instantly came and they followed him. But what was even as interesting is at the same time, the rest of the other flock didn't even flinch. When that shepherd's call went out, they knew their own shepherd. They did, that, that call meant nothing to them because they knew also the voice of their shepherd. When Jesus calls His own to Himself, He says here that they know His voice. He leads by His very Word. I think there's a beautiful picture here of the Master and the disciple. Jesus is our Good Shepherd. He goes before us. He shows us the path of life. He makes the way. And we follow Him by His very Word. He leads us with voice, which is now primarily His his written Word, that we might be led by our Good Shepherd. It is His voice that we follow. Voice that we know. In life, there's many other voices out there. right? Many other things besides the Scriptures seeking to lead us seeking to lead us from the Good Shepherd onto another path or into another flock. But we must follow the voice of our Shepherd not the voice of the strangers. So unlike those unfaithful shepherds who are not or who are out for personal gain, for their own well-being, uh, this good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, he knows his flock personally. 
And he knows each and every one of you by name, intimately and personally. Uh, We see number two, first his relationship with the sheep, but now his care for the sheep. His care. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The chief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. He, he pushes this metaphorical language now even further. And now he says that he is a door. Right? Jesus is, of course, not a door. He's, he's painting a picture here. But he says that he is the access. Right? He is the way. He's not a way. He's the way. He's the only way. Salvation is exclusively found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is not... Just a door, He is the door. He is not one of many paths, but He is the only path or the only way of salvation. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life is exclusive to Jesus and Jesus alone. I was having a conversation, I shared this in the midweek study, uh, with an unbeliever this past week, and the question was asked to me if I respect other people's beliefs. If I respect other people's views. And I think what they had in mind there was, am I one of those that wants to change everybody's mind and tell them that they're wrong? Or do I just have my beliefs and just let everyone have theirs? Well, my answer was that, uh, my answer was that I respect every person. Every human being has dignity and value. So I, I get that people have different perspectives. But I believe the Scripture, right? And the Scripture is clear that Jesus is the only way. And if Jesus is the only way, then that means that every other way is false. And every other belief is wrong. Got a little quiet at that point. Um, but the reality is that that's a bit offensive today, right? People, people don't want to hear that. One of the worst sins that we can commit in the culture is to sell someone that your truth is wrong. That what you believe isn't true. It's okay for everyone to have their own as if that's a thing. As long as we don't say someone else is wrong, then we can kind of believe whatever we want. Uh, so people don't appreciate that, but the Bible is very clear. Jesus says, I am the door. There's no other door. There's no other path to find God. You have to go to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we see here His care for His sheep. Firstly, in His promise to save. His promise to save. Look at verse 9. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Anyone who enters by Christ will be saved. Anyone who trusts in the gospel, the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, will be saved. Will find forgiveness of their sin and the promise of eternal life. Because he cares for his sheep. And that means anyone. Anyone that would go through this door that would trust in Him as their shepherd will find salvation and forgiveness. 
in that same conversation that I had with that same person, another question came up because we started talking a little bit about salvation. Um, they asked me what I do, and I said I'm a pastor. So then, you know, the door's kind of wide open there. I mean, I kind of have to go through the door now, right? Uh, but the question of salvation came up, and they said, what about the killer on death row? I, I, I was intrigued by this question because commonly the, the question is from the other side, and the question is, what about my, my sweet granny who crochets blankets for all her grandkids and smells like apple pie, and she's just amazing? She surely can't go to hell, right? That's usually what people say. But this person had a sense of justice. And what about that killer, that, that person who's devastated lives and is now on death row? Surely they can't go to heaven, right? That'd be wrong. God would be unjust. And you know my answer. <laughs> no, not him. No. <laughs> my answer was yes, even him. The blood of Jesus covers all sin, right? This, now, the guy on death row, it's not a superficial, hey, God, you know, hook me up. I'm here now and I'm desperate. But any person who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ will be saved. And I added, even a wretch like me, right? God saves. The blood of Jesus covers any and all sin. Even the most heinous and vile of sinner. But there's, a, there's another side of that. Yes, Jesus will save the, the most awful person, whatever category we might put there. But He will also save the most proud, self-righteous person that thinks they have no use for God. <coughs> he can save that person just as well. I think so often we have this <coughs> view that our own sin is kind of inconsequential. You know, those people on, on Pelican, Pelican Bay, oh, they, they deserve the wrath of God. Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, those are easy. But after that, then I, I'm just not sure. Uh, but Romans 6 is, is plain. Right? The wages of sin is death. That sin incurs death for all apart from Jesus. This week in our study, in our, in our midweek study, one of our, one of our topics was the mercy of God. The mercy of God. And we talked about how apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we all would get what we deserve. Mercy means we do not get what we deserve. We do not receive the punishment for our crime. But anyone all the world that would come to Jesus Christ will find forgiveness. The man on death row or the proud self-righteous person or anyone in between and anyone here today that would trust in Jesus Christ would find Him to be a perfect Savior. Uh, Martin Luther is famous for saying that faith is simply an open and empty hand. The only thing we can God with is our sin. And, and faith is simply believing in the promises of God, trusting that Jesus died for me and laying hold of those promises. Jesus is the door and He promises that any that would come through Him will be saved. As we see His care for His sheep, He also feeds, he also feeds the flock. Again at verse 9 of John 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We'll go in and out and find pasture. Imagine the life of a shepherd in the Middle East trying to find green pasture for your sheep. Now we, we might picture sand dunes, and I know that it's not all like that, but it, it's hot, right? And it's the Middle East. 
and trying to lead a flock and find still water and green pasture, trying to feed them with something that's going to be that they can eat. Many of us have probably, myself, not been to the Middle East. Maybe some have. Uh, but even in our own area, in the Rogue Valley, in the middle of August, when it's 106 outside, and you look out in the grass and in the hills, they're fried, right? It's brown. There's no, there's no green out there unless you live on the river with, with irrigation. The fields, the grass, it's gone. It's dead, right? And imagine trying to find green pastures for a sheep. Jesus here says He is the good shepherd who cares and feeds for His sheep leads us into green pastures. He makes sure that your soul is whole and well and fed and attended to. Even in a dry land or a sparse season, the Good Shepherd feeds and provides for His flock. David's word again in Psalm 23. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He fills His flock so that we can say, well, shall not want because Christ is all that I need. And He has led my soul to the green pasture of His Word. The Good Shepherd cares for and feeds His flock. And number three, He gives life. He gives life. Again, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. Now, I think uh, you're aware that I'm not any sort of prosperity preacher, and I loathe the prosperity gospel, but Jesus does give life. And I'm going to be bold to say that if you do not know Jesus, then you are not yet living. If you do not know Jesus, then you are not yet living. Yes, you have a pulse. Yes, you have breath. But until you come to know Jesus, you will not know what it means to truly live. Like that blind man who has never had sight, who doesn't know what it means to actually see, to behold beauty. When Jesus brings new life in your soul and causes you to be born from above is when you begin to truly live. We see this life that He gives, firstly, it's spiritual life. right? He breathes spiritual life into our souls when He revives our darkened and straying souls. and He breathes His Spirit into us. Remember the story of of Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus says to him, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Eternal life begins with the new birth, with being born from above, when God regenerates our soul, breathes spiritual life into us. But also, this life that Jesus gives is eternal life. The promise of unending life in His presence, your sin forgiven, your body glorified, your burdens and troubles permanently and eternally removed. But lastly, He says here that He gives abundant life. And I truly believe that's abundant life now. Right now. You know, we often focus on the future blessings of the gospel and rightly so there are many future unrealized blessings yet to come but jesus promises abundant life now he gives a fullness and a wholeness that we cannot experience there's a contentment that comes in jesus that you cannot have 
Because you'll constantly be seeking something to fill that void. As David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is security and safety in Christ to know that you are eternally secure. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. As David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There is soul wellness that comes in knowing Jesus. There's great brokenness that resides in us. As he says, He restores my soul. There is hope in the face of death and evil and wickedness and depravity. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And there is the promise of His goodness that no matter what we do and how our lives go, that He is working all things for our good. As He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He cares for His sheep, saves, feeds, and gives them life. Then lastly, number three, we see the shepherd's sacrifice for the sheep. The the shepherd's sacrifice for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them, and they will listen to my voice. Jesus is the shepherd that will give His life for His flock. All those false shepherds He speaks of, when troubles comes, when, when, when adversity strikes, they abandon the flock. They turn from the sheep. Because they're out for their own gain and their own uh, prosperity. But the good shepherd sacrifices for His sheep. Firstly, because He is their protector. He is their protector. He says in verse 11 that He lays down His life. He stands watch over the sheep. He cares for His flock. He is their guardian and He is willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. He's not like the false shepherds, but He stands over His flock to the end. But He also gathers all of His flock. Jesus gathers all of His flock. Again, look at this. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He speaks, he speaks to Jews and that those are in His vicinity and he says i have sheep that are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd jesus speaks here of the of the grafting in as paul says of the gentiles salvation has not come just to the jews but there are others not of this flock that he speaks to that are his sheep that he must bring in also to himself both Jew and Gentile. He now creates one flock, one people of God, one shepherd. There's no heightened status for the church, and there's no heightened status for Jewish converts. But we are all now one flock, one people of God, the church, the bride of Christ. And he says, there is other sheep here, not present today, not of this fold, and I must bring them. They will hear my voice. Notice, again, it seems like verse 
3, that they are His sheep before He actually calls them. They are His sheep before He actually calls them to Himself. Uh, let me read verse 16 again. There are other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to My voice. They don't hear His voice or His call and become His sheep, but are His sheep they hear His call, they follow Him, and they respond. He's their protector. He gathers all of the flock. And lastly, He willingly lays down His life for the sheep. Verse 17. I'm kind of seeing double, so if I fall out, then <laughs> that's what's going on. So I'm, I'm going to press on though. Uh, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Ultimately, this is why Jesus came, right? He came to die. But He came to die of His own accord. No one takes His life from Him, but He chooses when He dies and He lays down his life, and he chooses, he has the authority to take it up again. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, gave his life so that the sheep could live. He paid the ultimate sacrifice so that his sheep could have life. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 the joy that was set before Him was His exaltation and your salvation. Because as He laid down His life, He purchased yours. And like a good shepherd, He, he tends His flock. He knows them by name. He says in John 16 that in the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. It's not a promise that we like to claim every day when we wake up and pray. That's a promise that we will have tribulation but he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Christian believer, you will face many adversities, many trials, many troubles. But you will all the while be led by your good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you are in relationship with. He calls you by name to himself. He leads you by his voice, goes before you. A good shepherd that cares for you. He promises to save all that come to Him. He feeds His flock and He gives them life. And He sacrifices for His flock. He protects His sheep. He gathers every last one to Himself. And He lays down His life. You may have life in His name. So trust in the good shepherd. Know that He leads you every step of the way. That He has your best in mind. He knows what you need and when you need it. He knows when to give and when to take away. Allow Him to restore your soul and walk with Him and trust Him daily because He will never let you down. Amen.